Welcome to Canyon Hills San Luis Obispo podcast. We hope this inspires you, builds your faith, and equips you to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Hey, the book of Acts chapter 21, here's what the Bible says. It says, on the next day we left and we came to Caesarea and entering the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven, we stayed with him. Then it says this. Now this man had four virgin daughters who were all prophets, all of them. In just these two simple verses, we see the power of family. We see the power of a dad. And so today for the next few moments, I want to speak to you from the subject of own the title. Would you just look at your neighbor real quick and say, own the title. On the title, let's pray. Father, help in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. You may be seated. Timmy, thank you so much. Hey, top 10 things you'll never hear dad say. Number 10. Well, how about that? I'm lost. Looks like we'll have to stop to get some directions. (laughs) Number nine. You know, pumpkin, now that you're 13, you're ready for unchaperoned car dates. Won't that be fun? Number eight, I've noticed that all of your friends have a certain hostile attitude. I like that. (laughs) Number seven, here's a credit card and the keys to my new car. Go crazy. You ain't never going to hear dad say that, although it's pretty quiet in here, so maybe that is the case, which today's message is going to be just for you. Number six, what do you mean you want to play football? Figure skating's not good enough for you? going to need a pen to kind of take that one off the joke here. It's pretty bad. Number five, your mother and I are going away for the weekend. You might consider throwing a party. Number four, are you guys like letting your kids throw parties while they're gone? Okay, cool. Number four, well, I don't know what's wrong with the car. Probably one of those doohickey things. Said that just for you, Ma. You know, makes it run or something. Just tow it to the mechanic, pay whatever he asks. Never hear a dad say that. Number three, no son of mine is going to live under this roof without an earring. Now, quit your belly aching. Let's go to the mall. Number two, why do you want to get a job? I make plenty of money for you to spend. Number one, what do you want, or what do I want for my birthday? Ah, don't worry about it. Now, let me just tell you, if any dad says that, he is lying. Okay, next one up on the screen. I want to read you a story from a college student. I thought this was pretty fitting. Dear dad, school is really great. I'm making lots of friends. I'm studying very hard with all my stuff. I simply can't think of anything I need. So if you would like, you can just send me a card as I would love to hear from you. Love, son. Do you see something? Dad writes back, says this. I know that astronomy, economics, and oceanography are enough to keep even an honor student busy. Do not forget that the pursuit of knowledge is a noble task and you can never study enough. D-A-D, dad. All the dads in here feel my pain. You say amen, right? Own the title. I heard this statement some time ago, and it read like this. Don't fear failure. Fear being successful at things that don't really matter. I heard that statement years ago, and the first thing that came to my mind maybe could be something that came to your mind. I started to think of my my two boys, MJ and 
Jacob. And at the time when I heard this quote, I was at a place in my life where the boys were really young and I had a very hard time saying a word that is actually very powerful and maybe every once in a while you could say it too with me. And that word is simply no. Wasn't very good at saying no. Wasn't good at saying no because I was afraid I would let people down. I was afraid of saying no because I think they would look at me as being unreliable. Didn't want to say no because I didn't want to come across as, as being one who couldn't handle pressure. And so anything that came my way was always yes, 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 and yes. Would you just look at your neighbor and say yes? Yep, that was my life. Always saying yes. And I remember one time Vanessa pulled me aside and she got my attention in the way that only she can. And if you're married, you know, it usually revolves around a look. And then if you're, if you're, if you're good enough to recognize it, when the look comes, you need to stop everything you're doing. Because the next statement holds a lot of value to the person who's getting ready to share it. Most of the guys in this room right now are all smiling and nodding their head just like this because you know. And so I remember her saying, you know, you're putting all of your focus on things, but those things shouldn't be your top priority. And she was absolutely right. Don't fear failure. Fear being successful at the things that don't really matter. In Acts chapter 21, we read the story of this guy by the name of Philip, who we know over a period of time has put a priority on what mattered most. We know that he had a priority to God, for he was an evangelist that eventually came to Caesarea. We know before that, as we'll read here in just a moment, that he was used by God in a mighty way. But even though he was used by God in a mighty way, and even though he had a purpose that seemed to be something that would help people come to know Jesus, he had a bigger purpose when he left us in the book of Acts chapter 8. Now, we read chapter 21, but the last time we read of Philip, it's, it's Acts chapter 8, and we'll read that. But in 21, he's a dad, and he's helped raise four daughters who prophesy on behalf of God, and in the Bible, that is no small task. When you were to prophesy on behalf of God, people listened. It carried weight. It carried a, a certain power to it. It was important. So we know at some time, Philip begins to focus on the things that matter most. But let's go back to his previous life. If you got your Bible, go to Acts chapter 1. If not, you can follow on the screen. We call it the big B-I-B-L-E. It's right behind me. And here's what it says. It says, now Saul was consenting to his death. And at the time... A great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen's the first martyr who died for his faith in Jesus. So now this whole, this whole thing's taking place, and the church is scattering, but these devout men take him, and they're burying him, but they're crying. Verse 3, as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. And then it begins to talk about this guy by the name of Philip in verse 5. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria, and he preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles in which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed. And many who were paralyzed and lame, they were healed. And then it says in verse 8, And there was great joy 
in the city. Get this picture in your mind. He's preaching the gospel of Jesus coming, living, and dying, and God raising him from the dead. He then begins to pray for people, and the sick are getting healed. Demon-possessed people are getting set free. It's no small thing that's kind of tucked to one little place in time. Everyone's hearing about this. I mean, the place is going crazy, and it says there's great joy. It doesn't say on a neighborhood. It says in the city. So this is spreading. But then it says there was a certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great, to whom they all gave heed. And from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. But watch here, verse 12. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. And then it says, and then Simon himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed seeing the miracles and the signs which were done. Now get into your mind here, Philip at this moment, if he was to have an Instagram or a Facebook or a Twitter or a Periscope or a MySpace or a Pinterest or whatever platform you say, if this was available then, this guy's going viral. Everyone knows about it. This is a huge deal. But all of a sudden, it gets even better. So note, he's the first deacon. He leads an all-city revival. Signs and wonders are taking place, and it's not even over yet. We pick up the story in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. Let's pause there. An angel of the Lord is speaking to Philip. Big things getting ready to happen. Saying this, arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. It's a desert road. So he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority, under Candace the queen of that place right there, who had charge of all of her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. Now watch, this is crazy. This gets me. He was returning and sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. This guy is not a believer. He's not a Christian. He's not a disciple. He's not an apostle. But yet he's reading the book of of Isaiah. Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake his chariot. So Philip ran to him, and he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. And the place in the scripture where he read was this He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In humiliation, his justice was taken away. And he will declare his generation, for his life is taken from the earth. He's literally speaking in the book of Isaiah, a prophet, hundreds of years ago. He's literally reading the price that Jesus Christ would pay in his death. And this Ethiopian eunuch is reading this portion of scripture at this specific time when Philip was there he gets instructed by an angel are you seeing the timing that's taking place here it's an amazing story so the eunuch answered Philip and said I ask of whom does this prophet say this or of himself or of some other man and then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture preached Jesus to him now as they went down the road they came to some water and the eunuch said see here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? And then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, 
you may. In other words, of Jesus. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now watch verse 39. Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more. Can we just pause? I like being visual with the Bible. Jesus spoke in stories and pictures and illustrations. I'm going to do my best. Very simple. Two guys in the water. One gets dunked. When the eunuch comes up, Philip's completely gone. You ever read that story in the Bible where it talks about the disciples being in the middle of the sea and the storm came and Jesus came by walking on water and he just simply said, hey, if you allow me to come in, everything will be safe. I'm paraphrasing the story. If you go back and read it in the story, let me tell you what happens. Jesus steps on the boat and the Bible says the very next word, immediately they were on dry land. Notice it did not say, hey, if you need help, I'll come on the boat. So the disciples say, please come on the boat. So Jesus walks over, steps on the boat, and they row their way all the way back to shore. Doesn't say that. It says Jesus stepped on the boat and immediately they were on dry land. Just like that. The Bible is really cool has really great stories. The story, imagine being this guy being baptized. I know he was holding me and plugging my nose so boogers didn't come out of my nose when he baptized me. I know he put me down because I felt him put me down. But when I came back up, I looked around and there's no guy here. That's literally what's taking place here. But then it gets us all the way to our opening passage of scripture. Notice what it says. But Philip found himself at Azotus or Azotus, or the place that starts with A and sounds like Zeus. And passing through, he preached in all the cities until he came. What's that last word right there? Caesarea. Okay, that's chapter 8. Look at chapter 21 again. On the next day, we left and we came to, what's that place? Ah, you guys are a smart bunch today. Hopefully, it's because the things are up on the screen. What am I trying to say? This guy was mightily used by God in no small revival. People are saved, the sick are healed, the demon possessed are set free. An Ethiopian eunuch who was actually in record held for being the person who took the gospel to Africa, this same guy, no small task. It's a big deal. Now you would think that if a guy could be used by God in such a mighty way that God would keep him on the field that God would keep them in play, that God would say, okay, this city revival can take place here. Now I want you to go to that city, and then after that one, I want you to go to that city, and then after that, I want you to get a website and an Instagram, and I want you to start tagging people in it. You would think that God would have said, look, here's the deal. You're mightily used. You're available to me. I trust you. You go to the ends of the earth preaching the gospel because everywhere you go, these things begin to happen. You think God would have said that, but God did not say that. God said, while this was great, while I used you, I've got a bigger priority for you, and it revolves around your wife and four little girls, and it's going to be your job to raise them in the ways of the Lord every single day. If you're going to be a dad, here's what he's saying to Philip, you got to own the title. Do you catch that? I'm going to assume you're quiet because the lights are a little dim and you're maybe thinking it through. But God is saying, no matter what you think is a really, really big deal, and we can go all throughout our culture, 
and think of all the ways and all the things that we've got to get our name out there and be a big shot, even though we don't say it, and get recognition and climb the ladder. Do you know what God would say about your ladder? He'd say, burn the ladder. Because it doesn't matter how high you climb. It doesn't matter what you accomplish. I'm not coming down on that today. I'm speaking to all of us. You can get anything you want, but if Jesus is not the center of that, it doesn't matter how high you climb. And for, day, for today being Father's Day, here's what I've learned. It doesn't matter how many followers you have. It doesn't matter how good you can speak because you can be good one week and really bad the next week and people can just stare at you and look funny. Learn that the hard way. What I've learned is this. At the end of the day, my priorities are actually very simple. God is number one. No small tasks. My spouse is number two. My children are number three. My purpose and anything else after that is after that. I, I tell dads all the time, your greatest job in this world is to get your kids to heaven. That's your job. See, we have people, man, they don't believe in God, and that's, I, don't, I shouldn't say it's fine, it's not fine. There's going to come a day, man, when this earth is done and eternity is forever and we're just one little speck right about here worrying about all the things respectfully that take up all of our time and all of our energy and all of our focus and it comes right to about this. And what we find out is that eternity is eternity. So when I look at my boys, man, it's always a matter of this. Are we going to have some fun? I hope so. Are they going to make fun of me? They always do. If you've been a parent long enough to know, you will become the person who's not cool in the vehicle or in the house. You will get the rolling of the eyes. You will get the ignoring. You will get the, please drop me off around the corner. I don't want my friends to see you dropping me off in your hair curlers. Is that anybody else's life? Because that was mine. Like, hey, mom, do we not have to do the hair curlers in the morning before you take us to school? Drop us off around the corner. That was my childhood. You think I'm joking. My mama was in a robe and hair curlers. And she knew it embarrassed us, so she dropped us off at the front, and she let everyone know it. She sure love you. Love you too, Mom. Here's what I'm saying. Your, your, your family, your priorities, you, you've got to begin to establish what is right. Philip does this. So real quick, here's what I want to do. I realize that it's Father's Day, but I don't want this message to only be a Father's Day message because there's people in here that you are not fathers. For many of you, that's because you are a woman, okay? <laughs> For the other ones of you, maybe you're younger. Maybe you can't have kids. Actually, maybe Father's Day is a really hard subject for you. We, we get all that too. Up until having boys, I, don't, I, I didn't speak on Father's Day. Many of you guys know my story. It wasn't an easy day. Couldn't figure that out. Now that I have boys, it's like, okay, cool. I, I think I could do this. And these are the things that challenge me, that were given to me by, by my mentor. And I want to share them with you. So this applies to anybody, okay? Applies to family. Number one is simply this. Three things a father does. Number one is he sets the pattern. Everyone say pattern. Joshua 24, 15. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Who's saying this? Isaiah is. He's saying, here's the deal. The pattern for our home is simply this. God is number one. How many of you guys know we learn 89% of what we learn from what we see? 
How many of you guys know kids don't always remember what you say? Why is that, God? <laughs> I've told you, please don't do that. They do it anyways. You know what kids learn from? They learn by watching you. They learn when they see how you talk to other people, how you treat your spouse, how hard you work, how you take care of your stuff. They are always visually watching you. You ever had a kid, your kid, or just a kid, point out something that you thought no one saw? You ever had that happen before? Any parents in here ever been embarrassed in front of other people because of that? Uh-huh, because kids begin to see it. I love this quote. I've always remembered. It says, a child is not likely to find a father in God unless he finds something of God in his father. I'll tell you, sometimes when you read that, it's like, ouch. Say it again. A child is not likely to find a father in God unless he finds something of God in his father. So what I've learned is this, is that I don't think my boys will truly understand forgiveness if I don't learn how to show them what forgiveness looks like. There's a thing about grace and there's a thing about truth and both are needed. Sometimes if we're not careful, it's all about truth and we never let them feel grace. Jesus was very good at grace and truth. In other words, Jesus was very good about going to the person who everybody else despised in grace, but then also say, now go and sin no more. He was a master of both. And so when you look at your children or you look at those that you have influence over, the question is, is do they see God in how you carry your life and how you speak and how you treat other people? It really makes you come face to face with, with what's really true. I saw this a long time ago and I thought it was cool. It talks about how a father sets the pattern in these areas from zero to five, it's, it's about discipline. It's teaching the child that you, the parents, are in control, not the child. One of my favorite videos on my phone is I was having Jacob, when he was really small, t- say the names of people, like in our family. And when I got to myself, I said, okay, now what's my name? He goes, you the boss. <laughs> it's like one of my favorite videos. Who's that, mama? Who's that, brother? Who's that? We had this dog named Charlie. Man, he was crazy. Who's that, Charlie? All right, Jakey, who am I? And I'm thinking, like, he's going to say, you're my dad. You're my dad. You're my pop. Something really good. He goes, you the boss. <laughs> and I was like, well, glad you know. <laughs> but then I was like, in our household, mom's the boss. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> he also had this cereal box. Like, uh, he, was, he was working on his reading. And uh, anyway, I might get in trouble for saying this, so I'm going to say it. And uh, so we had this box, and he, was, he was, and he was just in a stage where it was before we were adopting. And listen, if you get upset with me at this, please don't send an email. Matter of fact, if you want to send an email over this one, send it to morganelliotmitchell at gmail.com, something like that. Send it to him. But he was reading, and so he, remember, he takes this box, and, and he goes, and I said, well, what's the box say? He goes, Mama spanks Jacob's butt, <laughs> just like that. <laughs> He's a funny kid, funny, funny kid. But he did a time or two, probably more than a time or two. Zero to five. Six to 12, it's a time of training. It's refining your children and training them in life skills. So you start to see this. Then from 13 to 19, it's really about coaching. See, in other words, you're on the sidelines and they're in the game, but you can still call the plays. It's kind of different moments that you find. And then you find out that when they're 20 and above, it's about friendship. It's about adult to adult. You, 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 you set the pattern. Interesting note, Jonathan Edwards, historians traced 200 years of descendants. Think of this, 
13 presidents of universities, 65 college professors, over 60 became doctors, over 100 lawyers, over 100 preachers, over 60 authors, over 30 judges, hundreds of public servants, teachers, and educators. Watch here. It's no accident there was a pattern that was set. The copy was made. The blueprint was given. Our job, our role, is to set the pattern. Let me just encourage all the dads in here. Set the pattern in things that really matter. Honor your spouse and let them see that. I think if you've been married long enough, you know you don't always get that right. There's times when you're short and you're tired and your tone doesn't always match honor towards your spouse. Can I just tell you something? If you do that, the best thing you could do is pull your kids into the living room with your spouse and ask for an apology. Been there, done that. Because it's the right thing to do. Set the pattern in reading the Bible and praying. My boys, they each get a day a week. And we've kind of done this off and on, but it's really more targeted now, even with MJ getting a little bit older. So every Monday, MJ gets to pick what we do from 5 o'clock to 6.30. Whatever he wants, we get to do. Sometimes it's across the street playing catch, hitting baseballs. Other times it's at home on the Xbox playing baseball. <laughs> Last Sunday it was, hey, let's go golf. Then Jacob gets Tuesdays, and lately that revolves around, hey, Dad, I want to make a video for YouTube. <laughs> All right, crazy kid edition one, here we go, bottle flips. But before we do that, when I go out with them, before we even play catch or before we do anything, I share scripture with them. And I ask them, can we pray about anything? Set the pattern. Set the pattern by working hard. Set the pattern by serving in your church and in your community. Set the pattern by making God's house a priority. You got to set that pattern. So number one, he sets the pattern. Number two, he's a provider. Everyone say provider. First Timothy 5.8, pretty stern word. If anyone does not provide for his family, he has denied the faith and is worse than a God-hater. Listen, God places a high priority on fathers. Matter of fact, husbands, the Bible even goes as far to say that if you're at odds with your wife, that God don't even hear your prayers until you go and make that right. You ever tried to pray with your spouse when you're upset with them? You should try it sometime. It's really cool. <laughs> Find a reason, get upset at each other, and then try to pray together. It's tough. It's difficult. Have you noticed it's hard to pray for your spouse when you're really upset with them? Don't lie now. You're in church. Don't look at me that way. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you are like gritting your teeth. God, I pray in Jesus' name that you just give them a good day. Let it be good. Pray nothing but good over him. And it's like God and send somebody his way to just, just a good friend to put him in his place. Put him, get him good. Pretty difficult. But I think God, no disrespect to the women in the room, I think God looks at us men. He doesn't say, hey, ladies, if you're at odds with your husband, God, he, he says men. Just like he also says that, that men are to love their wife as Christ has loved the church. And I know we joke about it a lot, but Christ died for the church. 
translation, you are to die to your spouse. If you're a lady in here and your husband is sitting next to you, do not look at him right now like that. I'm just joking. There might have been a lady that was doing it, so I had to step in for the guy. Got you, bro. You got to provide. Provide their physical needs. Provide their spiritual needs. Even thought about this lately. You got to provide even for their mental needs. You say, what do you mean by that? So many times we train our kids because they, they're doing something wrong. They're not fully right. But I think sometimes you have to ask yourself, when's the last time you saw them do something right and you pulled them off to the side and told them, hey, you did this right? It's got to be both. You got to be able to pull them off to the side. My boys have a very tender heart towards the homeless. And Vanessa has been really great at doing that. There's been times uh, we were at an in and out one time and uh, there was a young gentleman who I knew was addicted to drugs. I've been around it my whole life, so I know what it looks like, and I knew he was struggling. Um, and so that day, I remember we, we gave him our food from our table, fed him. And that day, I, we did it not for recognition. We didn't even necessarily do it for our boys. We did it because somebody had a need, but our boys saw that. And there's not a person we could ever drive by where they don't say, hey, Mom, Dad, can we do something for them real quick? They see all of that. And so when they do that, we always, we, we provide feedback for them. You know, you did really good here. And then lastly, number three, you set the pattern. He is a provider. And then number three, he is a protector. You protect your family physically. You protect yourself. You protect your family spiritually by leading them and praying for them. You protect Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and follow us on social media to hear more about what God is doing through our church at Canyon Hills San Luis Obispo. For more information, visit us at canyonhills.com.